guys slept too much. Honey, the fridge is full. Babe, my coffee mug is too tall for the Keurig. What am I supposed to do with my leftover chicken fajitas? I'm hungry, but I'm not like hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I don't even know if I'm hungry. It's 11 o'clock and I don't know whether to eat breakfast or lunch. I think I'm hungry. I hate watching Blu-rays on this TV. It looks too real. I'm not even hungry. My phone is 4G, but we don't have 4G coverage where we live, so it's the worst. This is the worst. No, no, oh, I clicked restart instead of shut down. I have to wait for it to start back up again so I can shut it down. I hate it, I'm like too healthy. I never get to use any of my sick days. Closet full of clothes, nothing to wear. My white noise machine broke last night and I didn't get any sleep. There's nothing to watch. There is nothing to watch. The bottom of my foot has been itching all day, but it tickles when I scratch it. I didn't finish brushing my teeth this morning. My battery died halfway through. I hate that. My hair smells like Starbucks. <laughs> my hand smells like Starbucks. My iPad smells like Starbucks. That's the worst. Mm. Wasn't I just chewing gum? I don't remember spitting it out. Blankets without sleeves, man, that is rough stuff. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Fellowship. I am so glad that you are here this morning. I wonder if you ever catch yourself sounding like that couple. I don't know what you call that. We call that first world problem, some of those kind of things. Uh, contentment is something that if we're being honest with one another, uh, we struggle with more than we care to admit. John D. Rockefeller was the very first in the world, the, the world's first billionaire. And I want you to think about that. You know, we kind of have gotten used to the idea of the uh, millionaires and billionaires throughout the world. But imagine being the very first billionaire. And literally, you can buy anything that you want. You can retire. Right? And just live life easy. But if you know anything about John D. Rockefeller, he kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing for more and more and more. He was asked one time, John, how much is enough? When is enough enough? And his answer to that question was just a little more. World's first billionaire, when is enough enough? His answer, just a little more. Just a little more is the mission statement of discontentment. And if we're going to be honest with one another, and, and please do, because we're, we're among people who love us. We can be honest here. We don't have to put on a show. We don't have to pretend that we are something that we aren't. Let's just be honest and admit the fact that discontentment is not just something that attacks greedy billionaires. Our sinful nature whispers to us all the time, just a little more. What you need is just a little more. It's not enough. Just a little more money is what you really need. Just a little more time. You need more love in your life. That's what you need. You need more influence. Just a little bit more. And yeah, that will be enough. And then you get that. 
And discontentment whispers one more time, just a little more. Sometimes that sneaky sin nature comes at us from a different angle and whispers this. Now, now what you need, what you need is a little less. You need a little less work. You, you need a little less stress in your life. You need fewer problems. You need fewer headaches. And then the seeds of discontent are planted and begin to sprout. It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor or somewhere in between. Discontent seems to be a universal problem. How many of you have heard the name Tom Brady? All right, and it's okay if you haven't. I've... Tom Brady was a quarterback in the NFL for, like, I think it was 22 seasons, something like that. So a long time, especially for a quarterback, that's a long time. And in that long time in the NFL, right, that's the, that's the highest level of football, and in that amount of time, he won seven Super Bowls. Seven. That's just insane. Now, at some point, and, and I know the question got asked. I, I heard it. I heard him being asked it over and over again. When's enough enough? Is five enough? Is six enough? He kept coming back. Well, maybe, maybe if he would had a uh, a supermodel wife at home to go to, maybe. That would have been enough to stop playing football. Well, he had that. He had a supermodel wife, had some kids, right? Still has kids. Well, at one point, you know, he did, he did retire. He retired from football and went home to his family. Supermodel wife, beautiful kids, I'm sure a lavish home. 40 days later, 40, you heard me right, 40 days later, Brady unretired. Wait a minute. 40 days in the wilderness of real life that you and I live in, and it was too much. I wonder how that conversation went. Sweetie, you're super pretty and all. Kids are great. But it's not enough. I'm going back to football because seven Super Bowl rings is not enough. I mean, look at my fingers. This one doesn't have a ring. I look like an idiot. <laughs> Discontent seems to be a universal problem. Even the Apostle Paul whom I would argue, I, I think you would agree, was not a spiritual slacker. If you were to look up uh, the, the, the definition of pew warmer, his name would not appear next to that definition. And yet the Apostle Paul, at different times, admittedly struggled with discontent. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm just going to read it to you. You don't have to look it up if you don't want, but listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 7, he talks about some of the things that have been going on in his life that have been pretty amazing spiritually. He's 
spiritually, and he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of all of these surpassingly great revelations that, that God was giving to him. There was given to Paul what he describes as a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. Now that's all the description that we have. We don't know any more than that, but he doesn't like it. And it is causing within him discontent. How do I know that? I know that because he pleads with the Lord in verse 8 three times to take it away. He's not content with whatever this was in his life. He wants it changed. He wants it removed. He wants it lessened. He wants something more than what he's experiencing than this torment that he uh, is experiencing through this thorn in the flesh. And he pleads with God. He begs with God, change this circumstance. And so he's struggling with this content. But the Lord said to him in verse 9, No, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul got it. It's not where he was to begin with. It wasn't his default way of looking at his situation. But the Lord pressed on him. The Lord challenged him, and he, and he gets it. He says in the rest of that verse, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. And he goes on. like that, That's mind-blowing. But then he goes on to say, verse 10, That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight... Now, what do you expect to to hear after the word delight? Well, you expect to hear positive things. You expect to hear pleasant things. But he says, that's why I delight in weaknesses. That's why I delight in insults. I delight in hardships and in persecutions and difficulties. These are not words that we would typically associate with the word delight. But he gets it. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I wonder, if I go back to these words, when Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. I wonder, I wonder if we believe that. I wonder when we feel discontentment in our soul and we want more or we want less or we want different, I wonder if we hear the words of Jesus say, my grace is enough. Do we believe it? Do we believe him? Or are there days when we just want a little more than that? Are there seasons in life when you and I, remember, we gotta be honest with each other. We don't have to put on a show. We don't have to pretend. Are there, re, are there seasons in life when we feel in our soul just this discontent? It's not enough. Well, why would that be? Sometimes, sometimes it's just a lack of humility where there's something in us that thinks we deserve more than what we have. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I do? Don't you know how hard I work? I deserve more money. I deserve more respect. I deserve more influence. And so now I feel discontent. Sometimes it's just good old-fashioned envy. You have something that I don't, 
Yeah, my car's okay. It's all right. It's not as nice as your car. I wish I had what you had. And now I feel discontent with my stupid, ugly car. Your car, your car runs. It gets you from A to B. Yeah. yeah I kind of liked it a lot more when I first got it. It smelled good. But now, I don't know. Their car's nicer. Sometimes it's not envy of what others have, but rather comparison of who others are that creates discontent in our soul. Sometimes there's something in us that looks around and says, man, I wish I was good looking like so and so. I wish I was popular like that person. I wish I could do sports. I wish I could preach. I wish I could cook. I wish I could tie my shoes for crying out loud as good as that person. And there's discontent in our soul. How about this one? Boy, this one's going to hit some of us pretty hard. But sometimes we feel discontent with God's will for our lives. Now, we might not want to say that out loud. We may not want to share that with other people because it kind of sounds bad, but it's absolutely true that there are times when the uh, discontent in our soul is because I don't like what God's doing in my world right now. I don't, I don't like where, uh, where he's taking me. I don't like, what did Paul say? I don't like this thorn in my flesh. I don't like it. And I don't want it in my flesh. I don't want it in my life. Take it away. Well, God had a reason for that. The reason was because God wanted to make sure that Paul didn't become conceited. Well, that's a pretty good reason. You can become conceited and prideful, boy, Things get sideways quick, and God doesn't want that for Paul. Sometimes we look at our life situation, we see maybe what God is doing, and, and we're like, no, nah, I want more than this. I want, I want less than that. I, I want something different. Well, on those days... In those moments, in those seasons of discontent, can I just ask, where do we find contentment? Where do we find contentment? Let's explore a couple possibilities. Can we find contentment? I mean, like guaranteed, sustained contentment. Can we find contentment with more money, with more stuff? Can, can more money, more stuff provide Guaranteed contentment. Well, the Bible pushes back on that idea in Hebrews chapter 13. The Bible challenges directly that thought or that idea that more money, more stuff is the pathway to contentment. It says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. There's no getting around it. It's right in our faces. The direct principle, keep your lives free from money. Be content with what you have. So the Bible would answer that question. Can money, can more stuff guarantee us, guaranteed, uh, guarantee us contentment? The Bible's saying no. In fact, don't pursue 
A love of money and stuff. Be content with what you have. Why? Why? Well, the why comes next. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? God says, you you don't need to pursue more money, don't need to pursue more stuff in order to find contentment. Why? Because God says, I am enough for you. I'm all you need. To satisfy your soul, God is saying, I'm all you need. Maybe your family, and I'll be the first to admit it, and it's fine, maybe your family is more spiritual than mine. Maybe Christmas gifts in your family do not cause spiritual tension. But we're being honest with each other, right? It's okay. We don't have to pretend we're something that we're not. So in my family, for Angie and I, we, we have had this annual struggle, this annual conversation that comes up around this time every year of what to do about Christmas gifts. We look at each other every year and we agree. We are on the same page. I don't need anything. My wife Angie doesn't need anything. My children don't need anything. And we agree. There's no de- debate over that. There's, there, we're on the same page. We don't need anything. And every year we talk about, okay, this is the year. This is the year. We're not going to buy each other anything. Angie and I will say this to each other. I don't need anything. Yeah, I don't need anything either. Okay, well, this year, we're not going to buy each other anything. Okay. And then that conversation turns in, what about the kids? Well, uh, let, let's, let's, this year, this year, uh, we'll buy the bare minimum for our kids as far as gifts. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. You know, maybe it's like an orange in a stocking. Remember that? I got an orange in my stocking, and I was thankful for it. I loved it. Right? I've just offended like half the room, right? I'm sorry. All right, so I don't know what that means, but we have this conversation back and forth, uh, the bare minimum of gifts for our children. But then... I'm telling you, it's every year I feel this tension inside of me. And I feel like, I don't, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can show up Christmas morning and not have a gift for my wife. How will she know that I love her? The kids, on the other hand, I'd have cut them off years ago. Right? <laughs> and I, that's fine. But not my wife. I can't do it. Now here's the thing, though. My, my wife feels the same tension towards our children. No gift for Mark, no problem. My God, she's like, I got that. That's no problem. No gift for our children? Whew, she can't do it. She can't do it. <laughs> Listen, if you want to, like, pull us aside after church, like, oh... Guys, can we, we need to pray over you. And we, that's fine. I said maybe you're more spiritual than we are. I don't know. But see, here, here's the tension that we feel. It's, it's, it's over the question, how many, how many gifts is enough? 
Even, even if it's coming from a heart of love, and I'm telling you, it, it's coming from a heart of love, but, but how much is enough? Why is the celebration of Jesus' birth not enough? Why, why is it that being together as a family and just enjoying each other, why, why is that not enough? Now, I don't know that I have super great answers for that, but I do know this. I do know from life experience, and I bet you would say the same, more money doesn't do it. More stuff doesn't create more content. I know that to be true. I do know that God has promised us in his word that he is enough. All right. Here's another possibility. We're, lo we're looking for contentment, right? Where do I find contentment? How about, how about doing the right stuff? As long as I'm doing the right stuff, can doing all the right stuff guarantee contentment in my soul? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 5 introduces us to a particular type of person who's doing the right stuff. Verse 5, though, describes this person as a person of corrupt mind. Well, that doesn't sound good. A person of corrupt mind. A person who has been robbed of the truth. That doesn't sound good. And this corrupt mind, this person who's been robbed of the truth, then thinks that godliness, well, what's godliness? What's well, doing the right stuff? But this person, because their mind is corrupt and they're robbed of the truth, they think, they believe that godliness is a means to financial gain. I do, I do the good stuff so that God will bless me and give me all the stuff I want. That's their conclusion. In other words, verse 5 person is doing all the right stuff for all the wrong reasons. So if the answer to this question, can doing all the right stuff guarantee contentment in my soul, the answer to ver in verse 5 was, well, no, not if you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Listen, I, uh, a person might say, I go to church. I, I go to church pretty regularly. I, I put some money in, in the offering box and you know, I sing, sing the songs. Songs are great. I try my best to you know, kind of follow along when the guy with the Bible talks her ear off. I try to follow along with that. And, you know, I, I grab one of those shoe boxes for some poor kid in Africa, and I fill up the bag for Thanksgiving for, for those who need a little bit of, little bit of help. I, I do all the stuff. But if our reason is because we view God as this transactional vending machine, well, then we're doing all the right stuff for all the wrong reasons, and it's going to lead our heart to think, to believe, as this person with the corrupt mind who's been robbed of the truth, it's going to bring us to wrong conclusions about God. And, and we're going to look at God, and we're going to say, God, I'm doing, I'm doing all the stuff. And so now I expect, I expect you to give me what I want. I expect you to answer all my prayers the way that I want. I expect you to do it on my timetable. I expect you, Lord, to provide me with a problem-free life. Okay. 
So what happens when God doesn't meet our expectations? What happens when we then experience problems? We're doing the stuff. But then we experience problems anyway. We experience difficulties anyway. We experience head, uh, heartache and, and disappointment anyway. Well, well now what? Well, I'll tell you, now what? Now our hearts are filled with discontent. Now, in contrast to the verse 5 person is verse 6. Verse 6 says, but godliness, well, God, the same stuff, doing the same stuff. But now we're talking about the person who's doing it for the right reasons. Godliness with contentment. Ah, that's great gain. That's great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, verse 7. We can take nothing out of it. That's a good reminder. But if we have food, if we have clothing, we will be content with that. And there's a warning that goes with this. It kind of harkens back to the point we just had. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and to a trap of many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. That doesn't sound good. Verse 10, the love of money is the root of of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered, listen to this, wandered from the faith. This is something that can touch us too, guys. Believer, if we're not careful, we can, quote, pierce ourselves with many griefs as we're chasing after things that aren't gonna bring contentment anyway. Go back to verse six. Godliness, doing the right stuff for the right reasons. What's the right reason to glorify God? Because we love God. And you put that with contentment. Oh, now we've got some, some great gain. It's, to, to me, it's like peanut butter and jelly. Pe- peanut butter is good. Jelly is good. But boy, you put peanut butter and jelly together, well, now we've got something special. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We know that more money, more stuff isn't going to, Bring us contentment. In fact, look at verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Listen to this. Not to put their hope in wealth. And there's a reason. Because it's so uncertain. But, ah, now we're starting to put something into focus. Listen to this. But to put their hope in God. Oh, now I'm getting a little more clarity on where I'm going to find contentment. I'm not going to find it in more stuff. I'm not going to find it in more money. I'm not going to find it in doing, uh, just doing stuff so that I can somehow manipulate God into giving me more stuff and, and, and more of what I want. But it says here, I'm to put my hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I'm starting to see it now. There's a picture coming into view about where you and I can find contentment. It would seem as though the scripture is pulling us towards hope in God as our source of contentment for our soul. So let's ask the question, can God really provide guaranteed contentment? Can God provide guaranteed contentment in our soul? 2 Peter 1.3, look at that. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, 
His divine power has given us everything that we need for life. Well, if I have everything that I need for life, that sounds an awful lot like contentment. And who provides that? According to this, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life. Oh, and by the way, godliness, doing the right stuff for the right reason. Well, how do, we, how do we get that? Through our knowledge of him, who? Jesus, who called us by his own glory and goodness. See, it's only when we believe that God's power, that our relationship with Jesus is enough for us that we begin to experience true contentment in our soul. It's only when the more that we want is more of Jesus that we begin to experience true contentment. I have a few verses from Philippians. I just want to read them with you. They're up on the screen. Just walk through them with me. So the Apostle Paul, at the beginning of this chapter in Philippians, was describing some things in his life uh, that he had experienced that most people would look at and say, Paul, you got it all. You've got uh, influence, you've got affluence, you've experienced things in life that have brought you uh, times of of wealth and, and, uh, and power. God's done some really cool things in your life. Most people would look at the Apostle Paul and, and, and say, man, you, you've, got it, you've got it all. And, and he, he goes through that list, and then he says, but whatever were gains to me, whatever you would look at and say, man, this guy has it all, he says, yeah, but I now consider all that stuff loss for the sake of Christ. Go to the next verse. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss. All that stuff that people look at and say, man, that's, I wish I was more like you. I wish I had that. He says, because I I consider it lost because of the surpassing worth. There's something that is worth more than all of that stuff. It's It's not enough to create contentment in his soul. He says, I found something better. Knowing Jesus as my Lord, he says, that's better. That's better. He said, I've lost all that other stuff. I consider it garbage. In comparison to knowing Jesus, all that other stuff that can't bring contentment, he said, it's, it's, it's garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And then he talks to you and me. Brothers and sisters, I, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Now this is important because we're gonna, we're gonna make sure that we, that we don't uh, define contentment in the wrong way. We don't want to define contentment as spiritual laziness or spiritual apathy. Where yeah, I'm content with who I am in Jesus, great, but are you content with where you are in your spiritual walk? Not good. He says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. What? Knowing Jesus as intimately as he wants but one thing I do, I forget what's behind. I strain ahead to, forward to what is ahead. I press on. He keeps moving towards the goal. What's the goal? I want to know Jesus. I want to know him more than I know him now. That's what I want. I'm not satisfied. I'm not content with knowing Jesus uh, this much. I want to know him this much. I'm going to keep moving towards Christ. 
I want to know him more. The discontent that Paul feels that he's describing, the only discontent in him, I want to know Jesus more. I want, I want to be closer to Jesus. And in that pursuit, what he's arguing, what the scripture I believe teaches, in that pursuit of Jesus, a discontent, I need to know him more. I need to know him, I need to be closer to Jesus. In that pursuit, uh, now all of a sudden we're experiencing contentment in our soul. I want you to write this down. You know, if you take one thing away from today other than, you know, we need to pray for pastor, he's so spiritually materialistic or whatever. Like, if you take one thing away besides that, please take this away. Confidence in the Lord brings contentment to the soul. Write it down. Please remember it. Confidence in the Lord brings contentment to the soul. In verse 3 of 2 Peter, it talks about God's divine power has given us everything we need for life. We can find contentment in his divine power that provides for us and godliness. And then in verse 5, for this very reason. Well, that points back to verse 3. For this, for this understanding, this belief that God supplies all that we need, understanding that, then it says something very interesting. Make every effort. Well, wait a minute. Shouldn't I be content? Yeah, be content with who you are in Christ. Be content with all that he has given us. But make every effort to add to, to grow in your faith. Add to it goodness. And then add to goodness knowledge. And add to your knowledge self-control. And add to your self-control perseverance. And to perseverance, oh, here it is again, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love in increasing measure. Verse 8, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, well, that's not a status quo. That's not a staticness to our, to our faith. That's a growth. That's, that's, uh, that, that's something where I want to keep moving towards more and more of Jesus because he's the one, go back to verse 3, who supplies godliness, ah, Jesus. He supplies it, so I need more of him. If I want to increase in these qualities in my life, where am I going to get it? I, I need more of Jesus. And if these things are increasing, if I'm, I'm, I'm not satisfied with, with spiritual immaturity, I'm not satisfied with this level of spiritual growth, I want to keep growing, Ah, that'll keep me from being ineffective. That'll keep me from being unproductive in, watch, Back to verse three, in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He keeps driving us back to Jesus. I was in Indiana this past week and I had the opportunity to hear the, the sermon on joy that Pastor Caleb gave last week. Really appreciated that. Um, really good job. And I listened to that on my way out to Indiana last Sunday, and I was blessed, and I took a class from Grace Theological Seminary on dynamic preaching. That was the class that I took, dynamic preaching, and some of you are thinking, finally, oh, I, I hope it helps. I don't know. I hope, <laughs> hope you learned something. Some of you might wonder, why, why, would, you, why would you do that? You, you're doing okay. You've been doing this for 20 plus years. You're all right. Why would you 
travel all that way? Why would you put all of that work in to something like that? And I just want you to know my why is quite simple. My why is because I want to continue to give God my best. I want to continue to give you, because I love you, my best. And I want to continue to learn how to uh, not only communicate effectively, but how to lead effectively. I, I don't want to just uh, be satisfied with where I am here in my faith or in my ministry. I, I, I want to continue to pursue excellence. And I think, I think that that's what God expects of us. That our attitude towards our relationship with him, that we should continue to pursue his heart. Our attitude towards his word, that we should want to continue to grow in understanding of his word. Not just the knowledge of it, but how do I, how do I live this out? How, how do I find answers to questions like, where do I find contentment? Well, <laughs> show me, Lord. We find contentment when the only dissatisfaction that we feel is wanting to be more like Jesus. See, confidence in the Lord brings contentment to the soul. Confidence in the Lord brings contentment to the soul. All right, so that obviously is not part of the plan, but I will say this. Let me tell you where, where that took place in my notes. The very next thing in my notes is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just a reminder to us that you and I do not know what the very next breath or heartbeat has in store for us, do we? And we believe by faith that God's going to help Brianna, but it's an, uh, it certainly is a reminder that we need to be ready and need to be right with God. Not just for things like contentment, because I'll say this, if you've not yet trusted Jesus as your personal savior, if you've not yet trusted Jesus as your forgiver of sin, and, and, you, and you've been feeling discontent in life, well, there's your reason why. There's a reason why you're not pursuing the one who can provide contentment, because you don't know him. And so maybe that needs to change today, but boy, what a powerful reminder that we don't know what our next breath looks like. And so if you need to take that step of faith of repentance in Christ today, today's the day. I know Brianna loves Jesus. I've had that conversation with her. She's had a lot of different things going on in her life throughout the years physically, and I know she loves Jesus. I know she knows him as her Savior. If you have a personal relationship with Christ, let me just remind your heart and mind that pursuing the heart of Jesus every day is where, where our energy needs to be expended, not how do I get more stuff, how do I get more money, how do I, how do I uh, position myself to be more like this person or that person. When we're going to be discontent with anything less than knowing Jesus intimately, well, now, now we're starting to bring into picture, into focus, what it looks like to be content. Look at verse 3 one more time. His divine power 
His divine power. When we, when we are pursuing Jesus, what we get in exchange for pursuing his heart and the things that matter to him is this supernatural, divine-powered contentment. What we have in him is enough because we believe that God will supply. Who we are is enough because we believe that God's love for us, his affirmation towards us, his acceptance of us, his kindness and grace, we believe is enough. Confidence in the Lord brings contentment to the soul. In that class this past week, there's 10 other preachers in the class and different backgrounds and different styles and different communication skill levels. And I know this. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to pull me aside and tell me this. I know this. That you know, what, one of the things we did, we, we had to present some work that we did before class. We had to present a sermon and we, we evaluated each other. And I know this. It is not supposed to be a competition. But in my sin nature, I wanted to win. In my sin nature, I can hear the whispering of discontent through comparison. But I'm so thankful for this lesson as I'm reading God's word and preparing for this. I hear God reminding me through his word, if I'm doing the right stuff for the right reasons, if I truly believe that God has put me together exactly as he intended, then I can be 100% content with who I am and who God has made me. Should we pursue excellence in every area of life? Absolutely, as long as it's for his glory. As long as we are content with who we are in Christ and we're not comparing ourselves to others, we're not wishing we were someone else, we're not discontent with what God did when he knit you and when he knit me together in our mother's womb. Confidence in the Lord brings contentment to the soul. And so I ask you to consider this, what about you? When is enough enough? When I, when I ask that question, not of John D. Rockefeller, the first billionaire, I'm asking it of you, I'm asking it of my heart, when is enough enough, is your answer, hey, just give me a little more Jesus, and I'll let you know. Because true contentment comes when the Lord is enough. When the world rejects you and me, we can say the Lord is enough. When my heart is filled with sorrow, I can say, the Lord is enough. When my loved one is dying and I feel like I'm breaking, I can say, the Lord is enough. When my confidence is rattled because of something this person or that person said about me, I can say, the Lord is enough is enough. When my strength is weak and I don't think I can take one more step forward, I can say with confidence, no, no, the Lord is enough. When it becomes so painfully obvious that this world can never satisfy our souls, I can look around and say it's okay because the Lord is enough for me. 
I want to challenge you today to take some time. Take some time and ask yourself, when is enough enough? And if you come up with any other answer besides, you know what? Just give me a little more Jesus and I'll let you know because my confidence in the Lord brings contentment in my soul. If you come up with some other answer than that, don't be content with that answer because you're probably looking for contentment in all the wrong places. Could I just remind you what I'm reminding myself? It's time for us to look to Jesus, to keep pursuing Jesus every single day. Pursue his heart and the things that matter to him because when we pursue Jesus for confidence in life, we will find contentment for our soul. Lord, we thank you again for these moments that we've shared together. We again lift up to you, Brianna, and all of her needs. And Lord, I lift up to you all the needs that might be in this room today. I'm sure that there are people in the room who are hurting. They are scared. They, 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 have, they have needs. And some of those things are, are perhaps creating within them a feeling of discontent. I want more. I want different. I want less. And I pray, Lord, that you would recenter our hearts and minds back to you and that we will be able to pursue you with our whole selves and say, I just need more of Jesus. And when I find more of you, when I, when, when I experience more of you, I can have confidence that I'll have contentment in my soul. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and finish with a song.